good morning. It's so good to see you all here this morning. Uh, whether you are a visitor or a regular attender or a member, I'm so grateful that you have made it a priority to be in the Lord's house today. It's so good to see you all. Uh, now, it is no secret to many of you uh, that I love sports. I, I loved playing them, and the older I get, the funnier thing, the funniest thing happens, uh, the better I remember being at them. Uh, however, now I love watching sports, and I'm a lifetime LSU football fan, and it's been a hard few years, but we'll always have 2019 uh, where we won it all. I grew up as an Aints fan uh, since I grew up close to New Orleans, and after I moved to Texas, I shifted to being a Cowboys fan, and soon after that, the Aints miraculously became the Saints and went marching into the Super Bowl and won it all in 2010. So maybe I should shift to rooting for the Texans for you Cowboys fans, and maybe they'd have some luck to come in the years to come, uh, but let's not get our hopes up or, or kid ourselves, right? Uh, the reason I love sports is because of the massive highs when there's a victory, but then there's also these massive lows like LSU has experienced the past few years. Uh, but regardless, there is this solidarity that comes from sports that is very unique. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, I say that I'm an LSU fan, and I say we will always have 2019, right? See, I claim the victory that LSU had in 2019. However, was I actually on the field? Did I actually play a down of football for LSU? No. I was at home eating chicken wings and pizza and screaming at the television, right? I wasn't at spring training. I wasn't at the two-a-days in the summer. And I obviously didn't go to their workouts. I didn't memorize their plays, but yet I still say, we won. See, it's easy to be a sideline cheerleader while never actually doing the work that it takes to be in the game, isn't it? In a similar way, what I'm hoping today is that God's word would call us to stop being sideline cheerleaders for the gospel and to begin becoming contributors to the mission of God right here in Odessa. So for the next three weeks, we're going to take a break from our study in the book of Romans, and we're going to be in the book of Luke throughout Easter Sunday. And this Sunday, I'm going to begin in an unlikely place in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and take it out and open it up to the gospel of Luke. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that's okay. Now, we have one that we, you can use. It should be in the seat in front of you. And you can find our passage today on page 808 in that Bible. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 17 through 26. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. As you find your way there, I'm going to go ahead and read our entire passage for us today about Jesus healing the paralytic. It says this, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, this is an amazing story, and I want us to walk through it, and I want us to try to visualize this, and I want us to try to picture what it is that is occurring here. But before we get to that, before we get to the story, let's get some background understanding of what's going on here since we haven't been in the book of Luke. But what we can understand that's been going on in the book of Luke up to this point is in Luke, we've seen the birth of Jesus. We've seen him born. We've seen everyone shocked by the knowledge of Jesus as a young man. And then in chapter 4 of Luke, we see that Jesus begins his earthly ministry. And he's been teaching, and he's been healing, and he's been calling his first disciples. And then prior to this in chapter 5, we see that Jesus continues teaching and performing miracles. And the crowds that are gathering are getting larger and larger and larger even to the point that he has to get on a boat at some point and go out from the shore just a little bit just to keep the crowds from closing in so he can teach all the people who have gathered. So verse 17 catches us up, and it says, On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching in Capernaum off the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So let's jump into the story here. And the first question that I have as I look at this story, well, who is it that is listening while Jesus is teaching? Who is it that is seeking Jesus? So in this story, we see two groups that are listening and seeing Jesus. And we see two groups that here. And the first group that we see are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, who are they? This is the first time in the Gospel of, the, of Luke that Luke mentions the Pharisees. So who were they? Well, they're a religious party, and we see in this text that they came from every village of Galilee and Judea and as far away as Jerusalem just to hear him preach. Now, Luke introduces the Pharisees here without any comment on who they were. But we know later on from Luke's gospel, and he tells us that they were a religious party, they were religious leaders, and in their attempt to help the Jews maintain the purity of their religion, they became rigid and hypocritical. Also, the teachers of the law were there. Well, who was this? Now, the teachers of the law were not a religious party like the Pharisees. However, many of them were Pharisees. And they were known and respected for having expert knowledge of the details of the Jewish legal tradition. So it would be expected that they were able to form an opinion about the correctness of what Jesus was teaching. So we see this first group here that's listening, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What were they doing there? Why were they there? Well, they were there to be critical. They were investigating what Jesus was teaching and what he was doing. Surely word had spread throughout the region and far and wide about his teaching and his healings. And now those who were experts in the law and religious leaders had shown up to examine and to investigate what it was that Jesus was teaching. I mean, just for a second, think about how humorous of a statement this is. The experts of the religious law showed up to examine Jesus, the Word of God, who has become flesh, to make sure that he is teaching himself correctly. See, they did not know who he was. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were not there seeking Jesus. They were not there to worship him, but they were there to examine and to expect and to make sure he was doing and saying what aligned with what it was that they believed. See, that's the first group that we see present. 
the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. However, at the end of verse 17, Luke gives us this juicy detail telling us, hey, that's not the end of the story. Something amazing is about to occur. He says, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. In other words, wait, hey, there's something else coming in this story. So then beginning in verse 18, Luke tells us about the second group in this passage. He says, behold, it's not just these men who have come to sit and examine, but there's another group of people here. So the second group that we see in this passage is the four friends. And Luke just tells us that it was some men, but the Gospel of Mark gives us the detail that we see that it was four friends who were coming. Well, what were they doing? Well, the first group of men was there to, with the motivation of trying to inspect, examine, and discredit Jesus. But this second group of men comes with an entirely different motivation. They are coming, bringing a bed with a man on it who was paralyzed. Let's just hold up there for a second. I mean, let's really try to imagine and visualize the scene. Let's try to visually picture what is occurring here. You've got Jesus teaching. And there's great crowds who have gathered. And I can imagine even at this point, there's this air of excitement. Not only do the people and the townspeople get to hear this man teaching who has cleansed a leopard, who has performed miracles, and who teaches the law in a whole new way, but there's also gathered in their midst these elite religious teachers of the law and Pharisees, and maybe people whom they had only heard about and like, hey, did you see who's here? Did you see who came to our town? And so these people, they don't even know why they are gathered here, but they realize that they're in the presence of these elite religious people. I mean, for the crowd that's gathered, this must have been a huge moment in their lives. They know something significant is going on, and they don't even know what it is, and they may not even know what they're showing up for, but they're there for it, and they know something is coming. Maybe even at this point as Jesus is teaching, There's an air of tension between the Pharisees and the religious elite teachers of the law. And and Jesus, as, as he's teaching, they begin to ask him to explain himself. Or maybe you've got brother smarter than you over here, and he's trying to trip up Jesus as he's explaining something or his teaching. And maybe they're coughing loudly or they're, you know, sighing loudly or giving people evil eyes who are agreeing with Jesus. I mean, can you just imagine this scene for a moment? It's got to be something to see. And the great crowd gathers and the elite religious men who are there to inspect, examine, and discredit Jesus. And many who are there just to seek and see who this man is that's done miracles and teaching of the law and this whole new way of understanding. And then verse 18 comes. Then behold, among the scene of the religious elite, among the scene of the teachers of this day, comes the rednecks of Galilee. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that. But I mean, who else says, hey, our friend needs to see Jesus. And then another friend says, hey, we can't ever carry him that far among the crowd. And another friend says, hey, y'all watch this. What we're going to do is y'all two grab this into the bed and we two are going to grab this into the bed and we're going to head down to the square. So the rednecks of Galilee head down into town, not in their best attire, not seeking to impress, but they're carrying a bed with their friend on it. But here's how I know 100% that they were the rednecks of their day. They got to where Jesus was, and they're like, hey, man, I don't think we thought this through very well. Uh, I don't think we can get through this crowd. We can't get to Jesus, and we can't get to him. So they had some redneck ingenuity. And the same guy whose idea it was to carry the bed was like, hey, bro, go grab me some tools. I got an idea. And then these friends proceed to carry this man on top of the roof. I mean, surely at this point, there's some gathered around, and they're like, hey, look at these guys. 
Like they come carrying a bed with a man on it, and now they're taking this bed on the roof. Like what in the world are they doing? I can picture one of the redneck friends looking at another, the leader of this group at this point, and saying, okay, so we got here. We carried the bed on the roof. What you going to do now, bro? So our redneck brother from Galilee is undeterred, and he said, well, I'm going to take a portion of this roof off right here, and I'm going to lower him down with a spare pulley system that I just happened to have in the back of my pickup truck. He's not thinking about how we're going to fix this. He's not worried about the consequences of this. Like any good old country boy, he says, you know what? We've just got to get our friend to Jesus. And we'll worry about how to duct tape all this stuff back together afterwards. And I'm just going to say it at this point, okay? If I'm ever in trouble, if I ever need to get to a doctor, if I ever need to get to Jesus, I want some friends like this. I mean, these friends don't care about the critique of the crowd and the religious elite. These friends don't care about the obstacles before them. These friends don't care about the difficulty of getting a bed on the roof. These friends weren't deterred by the fact that they had to destroy someone else's property for a moment. All these friends cared about is that they got their friend to Jesus. Everybody needs friends like that. And then in verse 20, it says, And when Jesus saw... Now, if you've ever taught in front of a classroom or you've ever preached, or you've ever stood in front of people and talked, you know that you see everything. You see the note passed. You see the person struggling to stay awake. You see the person shifting back and forth who's anxious and ready to leave. You see it all when you're standing before people. So just for, imagine, just for a moment, imagine Jesus. He's been teaching to these religious elite who've been asking questions and, and, and trying to challenge his teaching, and he's been dealing with their critique. And being fully God and fully man, he knows what is coming. I mean, the power of the Lord is with him to heal. We see that at the end of verse 17. And then he sees our redneck crew come with mattress, bed frame, and friend in tow. And I can almost imagine that Jesus got a slight grin on his face and he thought to himself, those are my people. He continues teaching as he's watching this whole thing played out. He knows what's coming. But he's watching them scratch their head while redneck number one has a brilliant idea. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's my boy. And I can imagine as the tiles begin to be removed from the roof, there's this moment of fear and disbelief and disappointment. Maybe the crowd is fearful. What's going to happen to Jesus? What are they doing? And then they realize what's going on, and they're in like disbelief, like, really? Y'all really doing this right here and right now? Then the Pharisees and the scribes, I can imagine, are disappointed and maybe even angry. They're like, hey, do you even know who I am? I'm important I came a long ways to sit here and to critique this. We're important people who have traveled a long ways with an important task to discredit this man, to examine his teaching, and to save you from his blasphemy. So they don't know who he is. However, our friends, they know who Jesus is. And they're not distracted from their mission, which is to get their friend to Jesus. Finally, we're at the tension point in this story. What's going to happen? Now their friend is in front of Jesus and how will he respond? And Jesus looks at the man. He looks at the friends and he says, I see you. I see your faith. I see your confident assurance in who I am and the power I have to forgive and heal. I forgive you. I see that you know who I am and I forgive you. He looks at the man and says, I forgive you. We may be a little bit confused at this moment. We're like, wait, what? Jesus doesn't say anything about this man's legs. Or him being paralyzed. Nothing about the man's physical condition, but instead he's focused on the man's soul. He forgives their friend's sins. This wasn't what we were expecting. What is this? 
I think here we can see a lot in Jesus' character. See, Jesus recognizes that our main need is not physical healing. Our main need is spiritual forgiveness. And see, these men thought they were just bringing their friend to Jesus to be physically healed. Maybe they didn't even know what they expected. They just knew they needed to get their friend to Jesus. And now that he was with Jesus, Jesus knew what this man's main need was. It was spiritual forgiveness. See, Jesus is basically saying here, it's better to limp into heaven than to run into hell. See, being paralyzed is nothing compared to God's eternal punishment. And today for us as well, the main thing that we need, the main thing that our family and our friends and our co-workers need is spiritual forgiveness. So Jesus first forgives this man's sin. However, there's this objection, isn't it? What's the reaction of the religious elite? They're there to critique and to examine. They say, blasphemy. Blasphemy. Or in other words, you're disrespecting God through your actions. You're saying and you're claiming to do what only God can do. The religious elite say, only God can ultimately forgive sins. And you know what? They were correct. That's correct theology. However, their confusion was, they didn't know who it was they were standing before. See, their statement is not wrong. Their understanding of Jesus is wrong. But our four, neck, our four redneck Galilean friends, they weren't confused. For the forgiven, paralyzed man, he was not confused. They knew whom it was they were standing before. They were standing before God Almighty in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now at this point, for many of us, if someone challenges who you are, how do we respond in our flesh? We're like, okay. I'll show you who I am. Like, I'll bring down lightning. I'll show you who I am. Or I'll tell you who I am in this moment. It'd be like, all right, we will tell you who I am. But not Jesus in this moment. Now, Jesus has compassion. And he seeks to teach them who he is with a parable of sorts. Jesus says, what's easier? For me to say you're forgiven? Or for me to say rise up and walk? See, anyone can say that your sins are forgiven. But just so there's no argument that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus decides to visibly demonstrate that he is God who legitimately forgives sins, and he proves it by doing the harder thing. So he turns to this man who had arrived through the ceiling by being carried by his four friends in his bed, and he says, you stand up, you pick up your sheets, and you go on and head home now. And immediately, immediately, I love the use of this word in the Gospels, Immediately, with no hesitation and no second guessing, the man who arrived with no ability to walk and full of sins stands up before the crowd, before Jesus, and before the critical religious elite. He picks up his sheets he had been laying on, and he heads on home, forgiven and glorifying God. Now, I'm just using my imagination on what glorifying God looks like in this moment. I'm just going to say this man was not worshiping God in this moment like a traditional Southern Baptist, right? Uh, but I can imagine that this man is jumping and he's dancing and he's hollering and he's shouting hallelujah. See, he was paralyzed, but now he could walk. And even more so, he was a sinner and now he was forgiven. But I can imagine he didn't just walk on the way home, but he could run and he jumped and he danced. And he was using his new legs and his new voice to glorify God. Can you imagine in this moment the look on the crowd's face? Shocked, in disbelief humbled and in awe to be in the presence of Jesus. 
And they weren't quite sure what they had gathered for that day, but they had seen far more than they could have ever imagined. Can you imagine the look on the religious elite faces? Surely some believed now. The text says they all glorified God and were filled with awe. And then can you imagine the reaction of the redneck Galilean friends? I mean, I can just picture, picture them looking at one another and say, would you just look at that? I mean, one of them probably even said, well, what are we going to do about that roof now? And the other's like, hey, not now. We'll, we'll figure that out later. Don't you see what just happened? We don't have to imagine much, do we? Because the text tells us that they all glorified God and they were filled with awe and they said, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, I love this story because it shows us our big idea today. And our big idea is this, because Jesus is fully God, Jesus has the authority to forgive sinners. Amen. This text also calls us to do a few things today too, doesn't it? So today, for just a few moments, I want to look at what this text calls us to do. Let's look at that now. First thing that we see, the application that we can take from this message today, is because Jesus has the authority to forgive, we need to have a mission. In our story today, these friends had a mission, and their mission was to get their friend to Jesus. They knew that they needed to get their friend to Jesus, and he would work it all out. And because of their faith uh, and their mission, amazement seized everyone in the crowd, and they were filled with awe and saw God do extraordinary things. Today, I wonder what it is that is your mission. One of the largest questions that we have in our culture today is the question of purpose. What's my purpose? What am I here for? What will I be known for? What am I known for? And some seek to find their purpose in their wealth or their possessions, or others seek to find their uh, purpose in defining themselves by their title and the positions they hold, or yet others seek to find their purpose in their family and their legacy. And while none of those are inherently bad, as believers of Jesus Christ, we already have our purpose. We already have our mission. And it comes directly from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, which says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, as believers of Jesus Christ, our purpose and our mission is to simply tell others about Jesus Christ, to tell them that he has the authority to forgive, to bring them to Jesus and allow Jesus to save them. And let me be clear, our mission is not to save anyone. Our mission is not to rescue anyone. Our mission is simply to bring them to the one who has the authority to forgive, to rescue and redeem, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let me just ask you a simple question today. Are you on mission for Jesus Christ? Who is it that you would drag to Jesus in their bed sheets and lower through a roof just, so, just because you so desperately want them to be in the presence of the one who can save them? Who is it that you are on mission for today? And hear me, it doesn't have to be everyone, but it can't be no one. It has to be someone. Who are you leading to Jesus today so we can all see Jesus do extraordinary things? See, we've all been commissioned. We have the greatest news ever that Jesus can rescue us from death to life, and he has the authority to forgive sins, so we must be on mission. So church, let's be on mission together today because Jesus has the authority to forgive. We need to have a mission. 
the second application we see today, is because Jesus has the authority to forgive, we need to have an eager expectation. Think about our story today. These men didn't even know exactly what they were hoping for, did they? They just knew that they needed to get their friend to Jesus because he would bring healing and he was the answer. They were like, if we can just get our friend at the feet of Jesus, maybe Jesus can do what only Jesus can do, right? And it required risk. And it required an eager expectation that Jesus would do the impossible. It required faith. Let me ask you a question today. When is the last time that you took a risk for the mission of telling others about Jesus Christ? When is the last time that you stepped out in faith with eager expectation that Jesus might just so happen to meet your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers right where they are and bring them from death to life just because you sought to bring them to Jesus? One pastor said, if the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. I wonder if the risk that we take today as believers might be too small. What are some big risks that we can take for the gospel today? If the sky's the limit, what are the risks that God may be calling you to to share the gospel with those around you? So we see individuals all throughout the Bible who took great risk, don't we? I think about Ananias who goes to Paul. I think about the example that we saw today of our friends that, from Galilee who took a great risk in getting their friend to Jesus. But our great, our great risk that we have for Jesus never happened by accident, do they? But we prepare for them before they arrive. What do I mean by that? When's the last time that you've truly fallen on your face before the Lord and to ask Him to make Himself known to the lost person in your lives? and to use you for his glory. Maybe you're not there, and that's okay. But when's the last time that you fell on your face and asked God to break your heart with compassion for the lost around you? Many of us struggle with hard hearts. We're we're in our daily rhythm. We're just going through life, and, and we haven't asked God to break our hearts with compassion for the lost recently. Maybe we need to start there, to ask God to break our hearts for the lost, to give us an eager expectation of his salvation for others, to ask God to restore to us the joy of our salvation today. Now, I've got several kids in my house. I've got four kids, and I can tell you this is true. Now, there's nothing like the excitement of a new toy with a kid. Like They get this new toy, and it comes in the mail, and all they can begin to think of is like how so-and-so is going to see it at school, and they're going to think how cool and, and be in awe of how cool this toy is. How so-and-so is going to be so impressed with the tricks that they can do with this new toy, and they just can't wait to show it off. Believers, if we're not like that with the gospel, maybe we just need to fall before God and ask that he would restore to us the joy of our salvation today. Why? So that we can have an eager expectation of sharing the gospel with the lost and seeing them come to salvation. That we're in awe of him. That we're like annoying with the gospel, right? Like, I can't wait for you to see how good Jesus is. You don't understand the forgiveness I've experienced. I have experienced the Lord's forgiveness, and I can't wait for you to see how good Jesus is. And then let's not just desire for them to be in awe of God, but for them to be transformed by the gospel, to know God. But you and I know this. Being in awe of God is not the same thing as knowing God, is it? So let's be on mission with eager expectation that the lost in all of our lives would know God. And finally, our last application that we can take from today is this. <clears throat> because Jesus has the authority to forgive, we need to push through the obstacles. 
In our story today, there were plenty of obstacles for our friends from Galilee, weren't there? First, they had to figure out how to get their friend to Jesus. Then there was the obstacle of the roof and getting the bed on top of the roof. And I can imagine that wasn't an easy task. And then there was the obstacle of the roof and then getting the bed uh, down through the hole. And then they had to dismantle the ceiling to lower him to Jesus. But these friends were undeterred by the obstacles of getting their friend to Jesus. Why? Because they were on mission with eager expectation of what Jesus was going to do. We know about obstacles in our life, don't we? I mean, I can't even get out of the door of my house these days without an obstacle. I have a seven-month-old, actually eight-month-old today, a daughter, and she loves to spit up every time I put on a nice clean shirt and I'm about to walk out the door. And we all have obstacles. Or for example, the other day, the road construction around here is ridiculous, isn't it? I was coming back from Midland on Thursday, and I really had a craving for Texas burger. And I go to take the Faldry exit. If you live in Midland, you know what that is. You can't take the Faldry exit. So I went down. I really wanted some Texas burgers. So I took the Billy Hex exit. And I got to the U-turn. And you know what? The U-turn is closed. They were doing construction on it. But I really wanted some Texas burger. I wanted that double meat, double cheese patty from a Texas burger. And so I was undeterred. I waited at the really long light at Billy Hex. I turned left, turned on the frontage road. It's 12.15 on a Thursday afternoon. You know what that means, don't you? The traffic from Roses and Chick-fil-A and Texas Burger and everything else is backed up all the way to the frontage road down almost to Parks Legato, right? But I really wanted that Texas Burger, so there's no way I'm giving up at this point. I'm going to wait in line and get my Texas Burger. So when we have a mission, when we have a desire, when we have an eager expectation, we endure obstacles, don't we? However, what happens when we go to share the gospel? There's something in our way. If we have an appointment to get to or they look at us strange or they go in their house before we get over there to talk to them in the driveway or they pull into the garage or we get nervous, we're like, okay, white flag, I surrender. I wonder how many of us in our lives would have faced the obstacles that these men in our text face today and we'd say, okay, white flag, must be a closed door, must not be the Lord's will. I guess God didn't want this to happen. We start using our Christian lingo to support our inactivity, don't we? I wonder what would have happened if Paul had only walked through open doors according to our definition today. He was flogged, he was beaten, he was thrown in prison, he was shipwrecked. Doesn't sound like a life with no obstacles to me for the gospel. Hey, Paul, don't go to Rome. You know they're going to kill you there. And Paul's like, yeah, probably going to happen, but you know what? I'm going anyways, right? And hear me, believer. Sometimes when there's a closed door, sharing the gospel with those whom God has placed in our lives that need to be brought to Jesus. We just need to tear a hole in the roof, don't we? Sometimes when there's a closed door for the gospel, you just got to kick the door open and not give up and say, oh, well, it must be a closed door. See, believers, when you go to share the gospel, you're going to encounter obstacles in the way because this is the greatest news. And the devil doesn't want you to share it. Your own flesh doesn't even want you to share it, but your own mission with eager expectation. And so you don't surrender just because there's an obstacle in your way in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying be a jerk for Jesus, okay? Like, don't say, I see your food is getting cold and I'm going to sit here and talk to you for an hour, okay? Or, or I see that your toddler is bleeding and you're going to listen to this gospel presentation that I have planned for an hour and a half, right? Maybe you invite them over to your house for dinner so you can talk over a meal together. Or maybe when their toddler's bleeding on the sidewalk, you patch up their toddler who's bleeding and you say, hey, let me tell you about the great physician and his name's Jesus, right? But when you have good news, you don't relent. 
You continue to tell them how good Jesus is and telling them that this is not good news just for me, but this is good news for you as well. See, we know this good news as believers of Jesus Christ today, don't we? We know that God is holy and he's perfect and he's created everything that we can see and we can touch and we can feel. And he is good and he is sovereign and he's in control and he's holy. We also know that we are none of those things. We are sinners. We've all sinned against the holy God. And this causes us to be separated from a holy God who loves us and who created us. Not because God doesn't love us or because he hates us, but because his character can't be associated with anything that is not perfect. And we are not perfect. But we also know this. God loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, as a rescuer. God sent help so that we could be reunited with him forever, today and now and forever. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby, fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a fully sinless life here on this earth. But yet he went to a cross and he died for your sins, for my sins, for your neighbor's sins, for your family member's friends, for all of our sins. And then three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave so that none of us today have to remain separated from him, but we can have a redeemer and a reconciler named Jesus Christ, and we can be back in the presence of the God who created us and loves us. If we repent of our sins, if we believe in Jesus Christ and we follow him, then we will be saved from our sin that separates from us. And this is good news. We see in our text today, Jesus has the authority to forgive sinners. So we don't let obstacles stand in our way of sharing the greatest news ever. Why? Because at some point, you and I, all of us, were the paralytic on the mat, weren't we? We were the ones who came to Jesus with something that needed healing, something that wasn't right. We didn't even know maybe why we came to Jesus, but Jesus knew what to do with us. He cared for our souls, and he forgave us. Hear me today, you may actually be the paralytic on the mat that's here today. And you've realized for the first time, oh my gosh, this is why my friends, this is why my parents, my coworkers keep dragging me to church because they think I need Jesus. That's exactly right. That's why your friends and your family are dragging you to church because they want you to know the greatest hope, not a message of hope, but the only hope that is Jesus Christ. And they want you to taste and see and know that the Lord alone is good. But at some point, all of us were the paralytic on the mat, weren't we? And someone in our lives looked at us and they said, my mission is you. My mission is to take you to Jesus and to kick down all the obstacles. For, my, for me, it was my mother and father. Maybe for you, it was a parent, a friend or a coworker, or a minister. But whoever it was, they were eager and they were expectant that God would do what only God could do in your lives. Maybe they even in the in the And the task of the mission of bringing you to Jesus, they faced obstacles. I know my parents did, but you know what they did? They cut a hole in the roof. Who's the one that led you to the Lord? Think about that for a moment. Now answer this. Who are you the one for today? Who is your one that you're on mission for with eager expectation, pushing through the obstacles and cutting holes and roofs so that they can taste and see that the Lord alone is good? So that their soul may be cared for by Jesus and they may be forgiven. Hear me, it can't be no one. It's got to be someone. Today in our story, we saw two groups of people. There were those that were there to sit, simmer, critique, and consume. And they were there, those friends that were there by faith, overcoming obstacles and contributing so their friends might meet Jesus. Today, which group are you in?
Are you in the group that's coming and trying to analyze and critique and consume in the church? Or are you in the group who is by faith taking risk and cutting holes in roof to bring someone to Jesus? Hear me, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And sinners need someone to bring them to Jesus. And we can't all reach everyone, but we can each one reach one. Who will you bring to Jesus? Who is your one? Church, I want to challenge you. Let's get after it. Between now and Easter, let's be intentional of reaching one person in our lives, of sharing the good news of the gospel with them. If you need resources, you reach out to me. I will resource you up. I will give you tracks. I will give you what you need. But let's each reach one for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and let's invite them to come and worship Jesus on Resurrection Sunday here at Mission Dorado Baptist Church. Our big idea for today is this. Because Jesus is fully God, Jesus has the authority to forgive sinners. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Believer in this room, I think we all need to respond to this message today. I think we all need to find a posture of prayer, either at our seats or at the altar. And we need to ask God to do several things in our heart. Believer in this room, first thing I think we need to ask God to do in our hearts today is to ask to restore to us the joy of our salvation. That's not a bad prayer for any of us. But that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation like the first day that we met Jesus, our excitement, and our our awe of him as our Redeemer and our Savior and Lord. The second prayer we need to pray today is this. Maybe we just need to ask that God would break our hearts for the lost around us. That he would break our hearts of, of the hardness that maybe has built up, that there are lost people all around us that are going to hell. And we have the good news of Jesus Christ that can save them for all of eternity. Lastly, we all need to pray that God would continue to lay on our hearts one person that we can share the gospel message with before Easter and invite them to our Easter services. Maybe you don't have one yet, but would you pray that God would make it impossible for you to miss the one who you are to reach for him? Let's all reach one person. Let's be on mission. Let's go with eager expectation, and let's push through the obstacles because Jesus has the authority to forgive sinners. Maybe you're here today and you've realized that you've never met the Lord. You've heard the gospel shared today. And you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've cried out, hey, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in you and I will follow you. Today, I've already shared the gospel with you. Today, if you don't have the confidence of the assurance of your salvation, would you call on the name of the Lord for salvation today? In a few moments when we sing a song, that's the moment that you can come down front and I can help you walk through this. Believers in the room, let's pray to the Lord to renew the joy of our salvation, to break our hearts for the lost, and to give us one to reach. Believers, the altar is open. Let's find a posture of prayer, and let's do business with the Lord today. Church, I love you so much. Let's pray.